Why is it not? Oh, there it is. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Would you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Hi, neighbor. Today we are pouring one out for the god himself, king and pimp Jeremy Corbyn, the only decent man in England. The only decent Englishman. Uh, run out of his own party by the worst swine on earth. It's tough, but I get to, when I see this, I get to reassess and reassert my own sense of gratitude, which is that I don't have to live there or care about what happens on that accursed pedophile island. Phew. But he, I mean, it It really is a case where Corbin was too good for the English. Like, they learn nothing from their humbling of their colonies. All they have is this petty resentment that they're no longer the world's hegemonic overlords. And they're fucking pissed about it. It's, it's sad. I mean, obviously they're as exploited as anybody else outside of the power corridors of this country, but they metabolize that, uh, this, their, um, their angst and alienation through the lens of this imperial decline. And uh, they're not very... Uh, they don't give a generous reading to people who challenge the perceptions of, of what England is, which is a disgusting uh, money laundering operation for the world's arms-dealing pedophiles. And Jeremy Corbyn shows up and goes, hey, how about we aren't the island that just provides financial services for the world's pedophiles and also supply the world's uh, uh, arms to all the world worth pedophile regimes? And they said, uh, actually, it's anti-Semitic to say that. It's anti-Semitic to uh, not want your country to be governed by absolute jackals because some of those jackals are Jewish, don't you know? And you're doing tropes. The thing about the anti-Semitism deal is that it was never the actual reason that Corbyn got uh, ganked. It was just the, it was an issue that just provided the a, a a rallying point for the nation's political class and political leadership, uh, and also media, most importantly, to rally around. Like they had to say something was wrong with Corbyn. Something made him bad. Because the problem with Corbyn was all of the things he wanted to do were popular things. And his record as a politician was of pursuing popular uh, and, more importantly, um, humane policies for his whole career. Instead of being a Oxford-butted Dracula like the rest of the leadership class of both political parties in that fucking country. So he had to be uh, brought down to earth. His, his, his persona had to be punctured. His virtue had to be besmirched. And uh, they decided, hey, since everyone in, uh, everyone in England already hates Muslims, everyone who isn't a Muslim already kind of hates them in one way or another, uh, because they're terrified of, uh, you know, their chip shop going halal or whatever the fuck, uh, we can just take uh, criticism as Israel and decide that that's uh, anti-Semitism, uh, because that allows us to just transfer our Islamophobia. And, and call it a virtue. This is a great deal for us. And the thing about it is it was very transparent and phony. The reason that it had purchase is, I think more than anything, and it had less to do with like the fact that a lot of people in the Labor Party were slow to combat the argument. I mean, a lot of them were lying, in the, and they were, doing, they were sabotaging Corbyn on purpose because Corbyn's big failure was not purging the party to the extent that he could. Uh, and they sabotaged him. But there were some people who were just dumb enough to be earnest about that shit. 
uh, and they were saying, we have to take this seriously because of the lived experiences of Jewish people and all this crap, like just absolutely being played like harmonicas by woke capitalism at its most like vulgar. And, but that wasn't what did it. What did it is, is that the entire, is that England is controlled by a, a elite that has persisted in that island since fucking uh, William the Conqueror came out over from Normandy and has that entire country in a fucking stranglehold and controls every expression of mainstream uh, political opinion and is able to determine the boundaries of, uh, of, of acceptable discourse at every point and is able to make a conclusion through just uh, classic... Uh, uh, sorties and 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 uh and trial and error that what could get purchased against Corbin was this layered anti-islamic uh pro uh jewish sentiment that of course was completely uh, transparent and fake there are very few jews in in england anyway most of the people who were horrified were only doing it on behalf of jewish people they never met so they could compl- be they could allow their petty uh pig-headed English scumbaggery, their native grasping nastiness to have a patina of virtue around it. And as soon as you gave people permission to do that, everybody with an interest in obfuscating the stakes of politics in favor of uh, capital and its possessors was able to go fucking buck wild. And, uh, you know, the real problem, even deeper, I think, than any issue of uh, the media response to Corbynism was a deeper belief by the people of Britain that he was never going to do the stuff that he promised anyway. I think that that's what killed him deader than anything, is that Brexit became the pivotal issue and the uh, failure to... The failure of the Corbyn left to uh, sufficiently deal with the uh, Remainers uh, in order to appeal to pro-Brexit labor constituencies in in the North, uh, I think that only ended up mattering because that materialist pitch that was supposed to obviate all these other issues was just not taken seriously because we are all living in this capitalist, realist uh, state where... The system is so totalizing that we are incapable of imagining any effort successfully breaking us out of the uh, worst cycles we find ourselves in. And then anybody who claims they can is selling something and is fundamentally dishonest. I think that hurt Bernie, and I think it hurt Corbyn too. And that is a deeper malaise, a deeper political pathology than anything any elected official can address, because what can they say? Their position has already been vacated by the fact that they are a politician. And what do politicians do? Not change things. But, man, the man was too good for that island, and now I really wish he would just walk away. Just leave. You know, fucking serve out a suspension with wrapped knuckles like a naughty schoolboy. A kid who was at private primary school who got in trouble for telling on uh, all of the buggery going on around him from the headmasters. Yeah, he should come to America and smoke weed in my backyard. That is my message to Jeremy Corbyn. Fuck the Labor Party. Fuck Parliament. Fuck England. Fuck that entire cursed, bird-shit-splattered collection of islands and come party in the USA. We can smoke some mad doinks. I guarantee you the shit that that you smoked back in the 70s got nothing. 
on on the primo strains available nowadays. I mean, the real canary in the coal mine for for labor's chances of being uh, of of being a a effective labor party again was. I mean, when I say labor party, I mean like a party of labor, a party of working class. Was when they lost Scotland. Like uh, Cameron lost Scotland to the SNP, which was essentially uh, uh, pitching themselves as like uh, you know labor, but. We're more serious about the non-austerity stuff, and also we're gonna we want to be an independent country. And Scots were like, if we're getting nothing from labor anymore, then let's be our own country. Like nationalism is appealing now in the absence of a transcendent national socialist message, which labor was no longer interested in offering. And then though, when and th- and the hope was after that happened, and then Corbyn became the leader, that 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 Scotland could be brought back by reinstituting socialism as the guiding principle of the party. Uh, but that didn't happen. I think a large part of it is because apparently Scottish labor, which is, you know, because it's a fucking federal system, is independent of the, the, inner, the larger labor party, uh, just stayed stacked to the gills with Blairite scum uh, and made it almost impossible for a good-faith Scottish person to vote labor anyway, considering their hostility to Corbyn's project. But what some combination of the infighting within the party and just the steadily uh, receding horizons of the possible in people's minds meant that even with Corbyn on the ballot, essentially, people said, nah, I'm going to stick with nationalism. We're going to stick with nationalism. And then in the next election, after Labor had to flip-flop on, uh, on the stupid fucking Brexit issue, uh, the northern Labor areas said, well... If it's all the same, give me fucking Brexit. If it's all the same, give me Brexit. And getting them to believe that, no, it's not all the same, I think that's that's too big of a job for anyone at a national prominent position in politics now because that position has been tainted because none of them have done anything. And that's why Trump is president, because I think his most effective line on Hillary was always, everything's terrible, you'll admitting things are bad, why did you not do anything about them? And he's tried that on, on Biden again because he's got that you know idiot, he's got the brain of a child and he has no object permanence and it worked before and it's going to work again, just even though it's a completely different situation. And he was saying to Biden, why didn't you do anything about it? And that doesn't work if you're president. Doesn't work if you have been and are currently the president. And that's one of the reasons that I think he's cooked, and that as much as we want to sort of prevent ourselves from getting owned by letting our guard down, at a certain point, if you go into this election really thinking Trump is going to win, I think you're at some level deluding yourself, or you're just too traumatized by 2016 to accept what the world looks to be around you. It would be funny if uh, Brexit ends up breaking up uh, the UK. Like it successfully prevents the reformation of a like socialist majority in the Labour Party, and the Labour Party is a viable socialist uh, uh, party uh, contesting for power, but at the cost of the actual United Kingdom. I mean, they'd take it, no question. But it'd be funny if that's the cost, the price that they had to pay. Do the Cornish want independence at all? Do you ever hear about the Cornish getting into it? People forget about the corn about Cornwall down there. Little peninsula. Uh, you know, they're they're also a Celtic people, and they've got a Celtic language. And they have their own food, the pasty. The Cornish pasty. Go to Greg's and get a pasty. I believe that the Cornish accent is the closest thing to a pirate accent in the UK. And I think that... I'm not sure why that is. I've heard that it's because that Cornwall was a center of piracy. Uh, but also I've heard it's because the guy from who played Long John Silver in the Disney Treasure Island in the 50s 
did a Cornish accent, and then because that was such an iconic role, it gave pirates uh, a Cornish accent. Oh, you can do it, I heard. shiver me timbers. There, right there. Yes, the original English accent was Rodic. It's true. It's amazing. It, no one, has anyone... No one knows how that happened? No one knows how they just decided to stop pronouncing R's? Wild. Uh, somebody asked if, about a book club for Cloud Splitter. If someone wanted to do that, that'd be a good idea. The thing that's interesting about linguistics is that you can like structure it very well and you can chart it, but you can't really explain it, can you? Like the shifts are is are is, are there any actual schools of, of, of theory of thought that are compelling and go beyond speculation as to why accents form the way they do and where they do and how they change? Like why we have an English accent and a Scottish accent, or why American accents are different, why the English accent changed, like the specific uh, uh, incentives for it? I'm not sure. If they do, I would like to know what it is. Someone says we fucking know, and I'd like to know how. I would like to know how. Like, one thing I'm pretty sure of is that the Jamaican accent sounds the way it does because uh, at the time of Jamaica's founding, it was peopled by African slaves and uh, Irish uh, indentured servants who were essentially uh, enslaved after Cromwell uh, retook Ireland. And that, like, the Africans coming to Jamaica had that as, like, the model for English. And so that's why it kind of sounds like an Irish accent. I've heard that. But, like, more specifically regarding, like, American accents. I don't know. I don't know. Someone says they think my, their dad could beat up my dad. My dad's dead, so, yeah, you probably could. Or, no, that means you couldn't. You can't beat up a dead person. Right? So, by definition, no, you could not beat up my dad. Ooh, Australian politics, man. If England looks hopeless, fuck. At least like Corbynism had a had some purchase and was able to to make a play for legitimacy. Australia just feels like everyone just wants to grill. It's an entire continent of the grill guy meme. But you know, not in a not in a centered you know transcendent way, but in a just shut up and let me. Go to the go to uh, the bottleo in my thongs. I do love that uh, the Australian Labour Party has no U in it because the founder, one of the founders of the Australian Labour Party, was American, and he thought that the U was cucked, and it was like you guys are being cucked by England, and then they fucking listened to him. Which is funny because Australia is insanely cucked. They allowed the fucking Queen of England to do a coup on them on behalf of the CIA in the 70s. And then after that, they voted down a Republican referendum. How is that not the end of the, the fucking Commonwealth relationship when they do that? It's like, oh, like we only accepted this arrangement because you know, British sovereignty is basically uh, technical and, and non-dispositive. Uh, no, no, if we want to, we will just replace your government for you. And they just said, sure, okay, keep doing that. Right on, let's do it. Cocked. Will is doing good. 
Will uh, is doing well. He's he's been very heartened by all of the well wishes and the very excellent uh, obituaries that have been published in the last day. Uh, his dad was a hell of a dude, and uh, just reading a little bit about him will will reinforce that. Felix does play too much. People are mad at Felix because Felix. Felix's bit he's doing right now on Twitter. I know it's stupid to talk about Twitter, but this is a thing that I think transcends. This is a, he's doing a thing that transcends the discourse. So I think it's worth talking about. Felix has created in his mind a per- ability to perfectly reproduce the content of a certain type of soy-based media uh, figure, like broadly left blue check discourse. And in so doing, he has created these tweets that are both just searing satires of this way of thinking that show its hollowness and that fill you with nausea that anyone can find this uh, persuasive as a way of thinking about the world, but also are perfect exemplars of what he's talking about to the point where if you are enmeshed in that world, you cannot see the fucking satire. You process it at the literal level because you are part, you're swimming in this sea of banality. And so he is the perfect uh, Terminator now. He can go behind enemy lines. He's getting, he's getting fucking uh, followed by like Ann Applebaum, the awful WAPO columnist who's all about like we can't have uh, socialized medicine because of the gulags. And and he 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 did some just awesome uh, Corbin related stuff that's getting all these disgusting disingenuous media reactionary hacks on board, and it's because they can't notice that he's joking. So it's like he is both entertaining his 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 fans, the people who recoil from this. Uh, of, of course, they say they're horrified by it and they hate it, but you know, come on, it's any reaction is a good reaction on Twitter.com, and. Um, the, this other people, they're seeing the same tweets, but they're seeing it through a glass darkly. And they're like, yes. And I honestly feel like the tweets he's putting out right now are like a Voight-Kampf test for whether or not you are still a human being with blood in your veins or the discourse has turned you into one version of a lizard person. There's a bunch of different ways to be a lizard. There's different, different ways where your engagement with the discourse shapes you and bends you away from true humanity and true any like perspective outside of the absolute howling banality of the discourse itself. And if you see those tweets and respond to them earnestly, you are one of the lizards, I'm afraid. And if you are rightfully horrified by them, congratulations, you might still have some uh, blood in your veins. Now, it doesn't mean you haven't been turned into a lizard by the discourse, but not in that specific way. In this specific sense, when you do the, the, the thing test with the hot coil on the Petri dish of blood, it has not burst up and attacked you. And I see people respond earnestly. Not people who you'd imagine. Not blue checks whose out-to-lunchness is sort of taken for uh, granted because they're media people. But people who you think by every other measure, should know better. And then they, they, they fall for it, and you're like, lizard. You, I thought you were a real person, but nope. Did I ever follow Cat, Cat Williams Farrell? I still do. They still post sometimes. I don't I really have an opinion about the Glenn Greenwald thing. I've never really read those Intercept. I don't really care about that stuff, honestly. It's just never been a thing that grabbed me. Uh, and like his, his, his bailiwick, it's just the electronic stuff, the bleep bloops. I understand it's important, but you know, like it's all recreation of a certain perspective, and you don't need to know everything about everything. Uh, and, and so I've just never really paid too much attention. And... Uh, but just the idea of like the Hunter Biden story being this thing that you're going to go to war over, I kind of blows my mind. Because it's, it's just Russiagate. It's just Russiagate. It's like, how can you make this like salient critique of Russiagate and how it's vapid and how it ignores the reality of the functions of power 
and then decide, oh no, this thing that's an exact uh, partisan mirror image of Russiagate, this is actually really important and powerful and you need to know about it. And you need to know, like, he's out there flogging Tony Bulgasor. He's saying, you guys, Tony Bulgasor, he has the documents. It's like, how is this not left Parnas all over again? And that is, uh, that's what happens when you behold the discourse too long. You lose perspective. I think that's the number one thing that makes people decide insane things, like that the Hunter Barton story is some important crucible for understanding the times, or that uh, the real class war is happening on Twitter, and it's people with check marks, and that they're the new ruling class. Like, these are only things that make sense in the absence of the perspective of a grounded understanding of the world around you. No, I still don't know who Tony Bulbasaur is, and I swear that I will not find out any more than I know who fucking Lev Parnas is. Someone says I'm wrong about Michigan. That's a very broad claim. Like, in what sense? That it sucks? No, I think I'm right about that. That Biden's going to win? I mean, his polling leads have been pretty consistent, and they have, they're, they're, they have a strong turnout so far in the early voting, and they have a Democratic governor. I mean, I don't know. Oh yeah, the people, the liberals piling on Glenn right now are all absolutely milk-hearted scumbags. They're the people I was talking about who would respond to uh, Felix's Twitter account earnestly. I realize now that some people might not be familiar with what Felix is doing online, so I'm going to read you some tweets. I know this feels bad, but the reason I think this is useful is if you're horrified by what he is saying, remember and reflect on the fact that people like this and think, how could anyone like this? And I'm telling you, the answer is, they're on here enough that they have lost touch with Earth. Moisturize. Change your bed sheets more than once in a while. Don't stress about your body as long as you feel healthy. And remember, Chris Pratt's Relatable Everyman Act is a way for him to escape accountability. Just think about that. Think about how many things like that you've seen. Think about how someone could think that that is a good thing to say. This one actually, I felt like he was taking my skin off with a potato peeler when I read this. It looks like conservatives in the 1980s were right. We did all become goth socialists. They were just wrong about how it's actually extremely good. Ooh. There are people who have read this. There are a number of people who have read that tweet. Go across the transom and that... That's true. I'm reading the tweets that are awesome. People want context, I'm giving them. If you don't understand how these are bad, then you are not online enough for it to matter, in which case, you are a blessed creature, you are an ascended being, and I, and I praise you. Uh, but I just beg your pardon for everyone else for a few more minutes. I'm just in awe of, of this of the voice here. Uh, I have friends who voted for Bernie, friends who supported Biden from the get-go, and even friends who voted for McCain and Romney. The fact is, no matter what, we're all in a dark period, and we need each other to get through this. Unless you put mayo on your fries, then jail. Ooh, man. Ooh. This one might be the best one, honestly. I wish Mike Pence's fly had said something about voter suppression because then at least we it would have gone viral. And then this is my favorite one. No, you're wearing sweatpants and having anxiety sweats over inadequacy even though you got a promotion during your work Zoom meeting. Ooh. Just think about it. Just think about it. Though that is the affect. That is that is I mean, 
it's what uh, a certain type of like professional uh, uh, person who uses Twitter as some sort of uh, networking mechanism. That is the lingua franca. That is the way they communicate to one another. That is the chemical uh, slurry they spit into each other's mouths to identify friend from foe. Because that is one of the many reasons, I've talked about this before, why you can't discourse online because all people are doing, they are not seeking the truth or falseness of any statement. They are seeking from the way you made the statement and the contents of it, whether you are on their side or an enemy. That's it. That's why that exists. And that's why all these people are now following Felix and going and, 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 and being like, oh, who's this guy spitting truth? It's because he is perfectly mimicking their language. And that, and that speaks to another failing of it because it leads you are totally at the mercy of people who at the end of the day you only trust because they can mouth pieties. We have to go back to message boards. Felix has been on that tip for a while and I fully agree. Having everybody on one format, having everybody discourse on one site is an absolute disaster. And I honestly feel like 99% of the things wrong with, uh, like, uh, all the questions people have about, like, we've dissolved reality. Like, people don't know truth from falseness anymore. You know, we're all in these cliques and there's no more transcendent authorities. Uh, and, you know, uh, conspiracy theory and, and crazy thinking run riot and all political movements are ground to a halt by these petty differences that are totally theoretical because everyone is just fighting amongst themselves over clout rather than really trying to move towards making a meaningful praxis. That all comes from all of us being in one room together trying to basically recreate a social, the, recreate society in a, in a miniature. And then therefore it's going to have all the problems and require the same degree of uh, like overarching alienated institutions as actual society does. But it doesn't have those. It has Jack Dorsey and it has Mark Zuckerberg. So people say, what do you do? Do you nationalize uh, Amazon, Google and Facebook? Do you break them up? I think that you, you send everyone back to the forums. I think Felix is right about that. If we have to be on here, we should be in forums. Although me and Virgil have come up with an idea for a class of posting mentats who take it upon themselves to go to the discourse and then translate it to normal people uh, who then do not engage with it in any way who only get it through the people who have uh, engaged with it. One or the other, though. What we have now ain't working. How are these people selected to curate the material? See, that's always the question. How do you do it? I honestly feel like it would have to be some sort of combination of... It would have to be like an early selection process, like as children. Like adeptness. Uh, and not just adeptness, but inclination towards certain ways of analyzing information. Uh, like, you know, you might say, uh, are you just talking about, you know, people on the spectrum? No. Uh, people who would thrive there as opposed to people who struggle there, which is, I think, a lot of us, because everyone being online from the time you're a kid, I think it, it really does disrupt your ability to engage with the world on an emotional level. Like, you can't be present in a way you have to be in order to absorb, like, meaning from interactions. It, 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 you create a, uh, a negative feedback loop whereby you find you are less and less present because you are more and more concentrated online. So when you are, where you are and what you're doing is more likely to be shot through with your mind being elsewhere, specifically online, and that means that you adhere less 
meaning to the experiences you do have because you're investing less of yourself in them. You are less present. You are not observing that which is around you. You are not adhering emotionally to people and things around you and, and actions and, uh, and skills that you might have. But for some people, that's because the symbolic order makes sense to them more. And they're not going to really be profitably uh, uh, utilized trying to engage with the real world. You got to find who those people are early, and then you send them to Mentat school. But then everybody else, people who would more profitably live a life that is present in the world, in the in the in the uh, firmament, you don't go on there at all. You don't. You stay. You you stay away. Uh, someone's asking about Sinn Fein. I don't honestly know that much about them. I know I, in terms of their like political project now. I mean, I know that they have pivoted to be the anti-austerity party in Ireland and are now the opposition party in Ireland because there's a unity government between the two center-right parties they have. Which still, it's my, they don't even bother. They didn't even bother with a fake two-party system. Just two parties with basically identical center-right politics. It's kind of amazing. Uh, so they're the, they're the official uh, opposition now for the first time. Uh, but you got to wonder to what degree their anti-austerity is uh, uh, opportunistic because when they participated in government in the North, they have helped carry out austerity. I mean, the real thing that's going to matter is what happened with them is how how Ireland is going to respond to Brexit because it looks like they're really headed towards no deal border going back up as uh, Brexit, which could legitimately lead to a reunification, which would be hilarious. But as I said, I don't know too much about the specifics. I'm keeping up. Someone asked specifically about abstain uh, Sinn Fein abstentionism, given the fact that they are first and foremost dedicated to the removal of Engl British authority over the, uh, I the uh, Irish, the I Ireland, the island itself, uh, I understand why you would not want to uh, become entangled with any coalition government uh, that might happen because you would, your issues would always be sacrificed to the greater uh, national project of whatever uh, government you were part of. So I get why the percentage wasn't there. But the question really is, is Irish independence that important at this point? Is it that big of a deal? Is reunifying Ireland really matter in this globalized world where, like, okay, Ireland, Northern Ireland breaks off from the UK and rejoins the Republic. And now you're still, now you're part of uh, uh, EU and your real laws are written in, uh, in Frankfurt anyway. And Brussels. Oops. What if I mean, Connolly said that you know if uh, if the if you replace the British flag with the Irish one, but you don't replace capitalism, you will just hand over the deed to a different set of landlords. And it doesn't look like they're anywhere near uh, getting socialist revolution in Ireland. But at this point, I think. Most of those nationalist movements are, are an expression of hopelessness, uh, are an expression of the embrace at some psychic level of capital realism, of capitalist realism, of the notion that there is no transcending any of our uh, contradictions, and therefore why not have a different flag? Why not feel like you have more independence? Even though the government that you're going to be supporting is going to be driven by the same brutal logic of maximal profit extraction uh, that uh, your overthrowing does. But I'd say the Corbin thing more than anything, just like with Felix's tweets, it's just a way to like the real way to be uh, to, 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 to find friend from foe is not whether they're mouthing the right words and using the right frames or the right memes. 
It's what their positions are. And so much of actual positions, and not their positions on internecine bullshit, but on important consequential questions like Jeremy Corbyn, anti-Semitism. Is this a thing that you want to accept as a real deal and accept the premises of this, this uh, assault from capital in the form of a media propaganda campaign and an internal uh, coup attempt by a bunch of weaselly backstabbers? Are you on board with that? Or are you going to take seriously the fake terms of the debate? And if you do, what, what am I going to, why would I ever take anything you say seriously? The declining rate of profit is a theory of Marxism that says that over time, the tendency of profit in the capitalist in a capitalist economic system is to go down, and that that leads to a crisis within capitalism that leads to a final confrontation that helps helps accelerate a final confrontation between the working class and capitalism and capitalists. Uh, and it's one of those things that is often pointed at as proof that Marx didn't really know what he was talking about or that there's a fundamental flaw in Marxism because uh, it has not been observed since he said it. Uh, but the thing is, is that capitalism has shifted so much in, in, the, in the years since Marx died in, towards the creation of a global market, a global capitalist system that did not exist in, in the 19th century. There, there was still huge, 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 huge chunks of the world's uh, uh, productive capacity that was not, at no point uh, was integrated into a capitalist, a world capitalist system of, um, of uh, exchanges. Now we have reached that point. And what we are finding is, is that, like specifically in America since the 70s, since the great... Uh, the great crisis, the 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 the, uh, the turning point of uh, where the overheated econ the o- simultaneously stalled and overheated economy was re uh, was reasserted with the power of labor removed, and so the labor share of income held stable in order to keep profits flowing. That was done in part because profits were dropping significantly in the 70s. And what you see since then is a chart that is not a straight arrow downward, which a lot of people point to as proof that, it's, that there is no declining rate of profit, but that is in its trend downward, which is what you would call a tendency, which is what Marx called it, the tendency of the rate of profit to fall. And there are a bunch of people who have reached the uh, belief that we, since the 70s, have reached a terminal crisis point in profitability within capitalism. And that you will see bubbles and you will see bursts, but a lot of it is going to be, well, previously uh, non-marketized segments of that system are turned into uh, profit centers. Privatization, basically. Like, that gives you some bursts. Uh, and, but that's literally the body eating itself like that that's the fat stores being absorbed it's it's uh it's the stuff that we have left out of the market in order to keep it stable being destabilized on behalf of maintaining or of a uh temporary profit uh percentage and that if that's the case then any political project that says we can return to a social democratic model is inherently doomed because the social democratic model depended on the sharing of a large amount of profit between capital and labor. That was the premise of the post-war labor peace. The 70s saw the end of that uh, and it has not been repeated because that specific profit situation where America was the sole producer of global goods basically after World War II once that ended and you have a, like a globalized market with countries producing for distribution all over the world at different price points, uh, 
that we, can, that we don't have the profits to split up. If we're going to make life habitable for people, it's going to be by removing profit from the equation completely and socializing that element of the economy and using our uh, technological capacity, replacing exchange for profit for exchange for use. And I generally agree. I believe I, I am on the, I'm of the school that we are in a crisis. I'm of the school that the, that the tendency of the rate uh, to fall is, is asserting itself in a sort of a terminal direction. Line go down, as they say. And that, and like, it's not, there's a lot of lines too. You know, the data, I'm not a data guy, but I've done enough looking at the reading to know that this is not just a, a, a thing that some crackpots are, are, are open to find in the data. There's a lot of confirming information about it. And so places that have social democratic systems are over time going to strip them, are going to start selling uh, the, the, the furniture and the, and the silverware and stripping out the wiring and the copper piping. That's going to happen. The only thing that will prevent it is a re, re-foundation of politics, a, a removal of the, of the parasitic political classes that are just managing this class exploitation and not challenging it. Any tips on riding out the next two weeks? Uh, smoke weed, baby. Yeah, just don't pay too much attention. Like, find something outside of uh, this to care about and, and engage yourself with. Someone says, was Bernie too wedded to the social democratic agenda? See, now this is the thing. I agree completely that social democracy is dead and can't come back. But some people took that as a reason to write off the Bernie campaign uh, or say that it was, you know, uh, insufficient to the moment. And to my mind... That just uh, ignores the fact that even if we can say with some degree of confidence in ourselves that this is a dead model and that we need to go new, get something new, that is certainly not true of anything like a working majority of Americans. We, have, we only understand, like, we have a vague understanding of history and then in the, uh, a vague understanding of, of what is happening around us. Uh, uh, concepts that are outside of that framework they don't have a buy-in for most people. You have to get to that point. And that requires uh, dealing with like the language symbols, policy ideas, and legacy of American politics as it exists. And so that means you, any, any, so, any attempt to like reinvigorate an a, a electoral left in this country was going to have to evoke uh, the, the social democratic uh, high point. Because it's an entry point. New stuff is alienating. And I, and I don't think that there's any likelihood that if he had been less adherent to social democratic ideas, that he would have been more popular. I mean, at the end of the day, he was disqualified from office by his radicalness. Because he didn't engage enough of the people who weren't paying attention. Oh, no, the people who were... They were operating within the world as they understood it. How high will I be on election day? Probably pretty high, I would imagine. We'll see, though. Maybe I'll do it straight edge. Tune in on Tuesday night to find out. I will not be taking a bottle of overproof rum to the dome again, though. See, people are saying it's going to last for days, but as I said, Florida is the one to look for. I'll end with this. If people are worried about uh, having to sweat a long election because they care for one reason or another, Florida counts their votes 
mail-in votes before on election day, they're all counted up so they can start releasing results after the polls close, which means you will probably get Florida called on election night. And if Biden wins it, you can go to bed. Now, if Trump wins, now maybe you want to stay up if you're invested at that point. But uh, 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 the other reason that I think, I mean, Florida obviously is going to be huge for Biden if he wins it because of the electoral weight it has. But if Trump wins, I think all bets are off because Florida has shown a significant, durable Biden lead. Like Biden has not has not lost his lead in Florida, I think, in a month. Uh, there's a new poll with him up by, I think, 11. That's the most recent Florida poll. If, the, if Trump ends up pulling that out, then then that systemic anti-Trump bias in polling might be real. People say I would be surprised if Trump loses Florida. There, that if you say that, then you are accepting that there is this huge anti-Trump bias in the data again. Even though he's the president instead of the uh, 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 the challenger, he's running against Biden instead of Clinton. I honestly wonder if that's based on anything other than just not wanting to get owned. They say there's no 11 point. I guess it wasn't 11. It was big, though. It was healthy. It was over five, that's for sure. Nobody had me? I never got asked on Comptown. Leave me alone. Crowds. Monmouth, that's it. Six. Six. That's still pretty big. Biden's lead in aggregate is not as narrow as Clinton's was. It's bigger. But my main thing is, I think... That I think that the systemic bias against Clinton or against Trump in those polls, I think it honestly might have been people lying about voting for him. And I just don't think people are going to do that this time. I think people who are voting for Trump are being honest about it. All right, guys, I'm going to log off. Why are some universities so into polling? I think it's just because they got a big chunk of money at the right moment and then they, uh, put it into like putting a poll together and then at that point boom you're the poll college and then like when i think of monmouth when i think of quinnipiac i just think why would you go there for anything else why would you go there for quinnipiac for anything other than polling polling science why would you go to monmouth for anything but that all right